Aloha kakayaka. I know it's raining, and I know some of us are in either a soft mood or a depressed mood. But the joy of today, whatever mood you are in, God is worthy. He's worthy of everything, right? Our affection, our attention. And today I want to take a moment to look at a Old Testament passage that we have not preached, I mean, since the time we started about six year, six and a half years ago. And I want you to turn to the book of First Samuel. Turn to the book of First Samuel. And I want you to be reminded that we're walking through a new series. Last week we kicked off a series called Make a Difference. And what we're looking at is what does it mean to live life wide open by living generously? In last week's account, in the prophet story of Jonah, we saw that God lived generously through the proclamation of the what? The gospel, right? The gospel that draws people to repentance. And there was a specific prophecy that was told to Nineveh in five Hebrew words. In our English, we get eight words out of it. But in 40 days, you will be judged. You, judgment will come down on you. And it doesn't talk about how they knew how to repent in this specific prophecy. What it does talk about is that they do repent. Thank God for repentance, everybody. Thank God that God in his sovereign grace gives us the opportunity to respond by way of repentance. So we see that not just a people group, but the royalty themselves of Nineveh, right, received this judgment, received this prophecy. And their response to this prophecy was, God, forgive us of our sins. We get to the last verse of chapter 3 of Jonah, and it says clearly that the author who wrote verse 10 simply stated this from God, that God relented. Meaning God did not do what the Ninevites deserved. Are you with me? God did not pour his wrath, his judgment on Nineveh. Knowing the historical analysis of who the Assyrians were, the paganistic, heathenistic people group who we know was the founders of sex trafficking back in the day. And God in his mercy has taught us that no one is too far or too wide to reach when it comes to the gospel. I don't know where you've been going, but some of you may have things in your life that you've struggled with or you're struggling with or you're going to struggle with, and you will always look at God as one that judges. And I want to be very clear that he does judge, amen? He judges rightfully, but in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, he redeems, he restores. And I'm praying that you would see that now that he redeems us, now that he restores us, It's time for us in response to God's goodness for salvation to make a difference. How are we going to make a difference? We're going to live generously with the gospel. We're going to proclaim the gospel. You're going to hear the word the gospel every Sunday or every time we gather 20 plus times because that's how much we celebrate the gospel. One of our core values we call our priorities is the gospel. That's our first 
priority. The gospel is what saves. The gospel is what rebukes. The gospel is what corrects. The gospel is what takes a drug addict, frees him from his addiction, and places him in everlasting life. That's the gospel. And we're going to continue on in this theme of the gospel, right? And what I want us to look at in this text, specifically in Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2, a vivid understanding of one woman in need of God. This woman was, the name, was named Hannah. Hannah could not have children. And Hannah begged God to give her a child. And Hannah was specific of this child, that when he does give her this child, that he would, she would do everything to point her child to the Lord. Can I get a witness out there, right? Isn't the great, as parents over here, the greatest joy for us evangelical believers, right, is that our children will walk in the ways of the Lord. Amen? Our children would not look for the cool worldly fads or things to convince them to follow the tactics of the world, but they would be brave souls that would reject the popularity, the cool, sinful tactics of the world and Satan and his legions and embrace the the unpopular position of the gospel. That they would reject what rejects their maker. Are you with me? They would reject anything that has nothing to do with the holiness and righteousness of God. Like, we need a generation today that would stand up for the gospel. And I say we do. Now, we're a minority, but that doesn't change the fact of what happens. And this woman, in her desperate cry for the Lord, gets her answer. (laughs) Hallelujah, right? And I pray you get your answer today. I pray when we ask the question, what can we be a part of to make a difference in living generously? I pray that today's text would give us a rightful understanding of what it means to follow God and live out of the overflow of following Him. So would you stand with me in reverence of the Word? We're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to bounce around here and there, so please forgive me. We are an expositional preaching church. Usually we preach the books of the Bible. Usually we're in the Gospel of Mark. But today we're taking a break from the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to go through a survey of chapter 1 and chapter 2, starting in chapter 1 of 27 and 28. This is Hannah's outcry to her response to receiving Samuel, her baby boy, from the Lord. Verse 27 says this, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition. That I made to him. Can I get an amen there, right? Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he, my son, Samuel lives. Samuel is lent to the Lord. And Samuel worshipped the Lord there in his presence. In chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And Hannah prayed and said. This is a second prayer. My heart exalts in the Lord. Does your heart exalt this morning, saints? My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my salvation. Let me say that again. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in God's salvation. 
There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of what? Knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble blind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Mm. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He rises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithfulness one, faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge. Say that word again. Judge. Say it again. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah, the husband of Hannah, went home to Ramah. And the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. God, I know there is a lot of language and lyrics and words on these scriptures that we've been reading. But God... Only you can give evidence. Only you can give clarity. Only you can make someone understand and comprehend what's going on in this text. So I pray that we'll be faithful to the study of exegesis and expository preaching this morning. And that we would see not just application. We always try to go straight to application. But we would see theology. We would see observation and biblical interpretation before we see application. That the correlation of the gospel of the New Testament is rightly connected with the correlation of the gospel in the Old Testament. Help us to make a difference. As a platform of what Sarah said, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We can make a difference because, Lord, you have already accomplished the task of making a difference. You are victorious in all your ways and will continue to be victorious in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we say loud and proud. Amen. Nohoilalo, you may be seated. The title of my sermon in our series today is called Living Generously with Children. I know some of you, if you're growing up like my parents, the way my parents would live generously with me, I kolohe growing up, right? Meaning I was a pastor's child, but I was the worst one out of the bunch. Can I get a witness there, right? So the way my parents would live generously with me uh, is that she, they would pawn me off with my cousins, with my aunties, with my uncles, so they could have a date night or a weekend away from Zeke Tomaselli. Can I get a weakness, uh, witness, not weakness, but maybe it is a weakness, right? 
Like, that's the reality, right? Like, we, we sometimes don't do that, right? In some ways, we give our kids away. But I want you to see the joy of Hannah's prayer and how she specifically gave away her child, her only child. I want you to see the beauty of the gospel in these verses, right? God raised up, look at what we see in this text. God raised up prophets to be mediators between him and his people. Prophets spoke the word of the Lord. Meaning when prophets came in this time, it wasn't in their own accordance. They were chosen specifically by the Lord to say, thus saith the Lord. Samuel would become the first famous prophet recorded in the Old Testament. His training began as a little boy. His mentor was the priest of the temple. We've seen Eli. Samuel would serve the first king of Israel, King Saul. And I want you to see that the heart of the book of First and Second Samuel is this. It's up on the screen. It, it reminds us that living generous is not just the will of God to man directly, but in response to God's greatness, it's man's generosity back to God, hear me out, through their children. Let me be very clear. This may step on your toes. Your children is not ultimately for your comfort. Your children is not ultimately for your adoration or recognition or praise. Your children is given to you by God to be stewards of their life. And I would say that one of the things that we neglect is the theological investment of our children. So this is what I want us to do. I want to address the elephant in the room with children, right? They're getting on your nerves right now. Sorry, this is COVID. We cannot have cakey church. We're not ready yet and all that. But at the same time, there's beauty in some of the chaos that we experience every Sunday. Amen? It's all good. All right? And as we look at this one biblical truth. Here's what I want you to receive. Number one, God lives generously through the prayers of his people. God lives generously through the prayers of his people. If there is any takeaway from these verses, we have read it's the urgency of prayer, specifically for, for our children. There's a mother who who's asked God for children. She gets a little boy. And God answers her prayers, but God, she continues to pray for this boy. Let's jump up to chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. It says this, she, Hannah, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. I mean, here's a few things I want you to see in this prayer. Number one, Hannah's prayer was specific. Hannah's prayer was specific. It said very clearly how she would raise the young boy. She would give the boy to the Lord. And then secondly, right, she would also not let his hair be touched by a razor. 
What does that sound familiar like in the Old Testament? Who? Say that name. One, two, three. Samson. This is a Nazarite vow that was practiced among God's people. One of the ways they proved to be a follower of the Lord is that they would not touch the individual's head. It represented, besides circumcision, not cutting your hair was a special covenant that parents made with God with their children. Therefore, secondly, that Hannah, her prayer was a vow. And for us today, we don't live by vows. We live by contracts. And the difference between a vow and a contract is a contract is based on conditions. A vow is unconditional. Are you with me? Why do you think we sign contracts for mortgaging houses and, and rent and leasing vehicles and all that? Because there's no trust. Right? I don't know you from Adam, brother. Give me your credit card. Give me your ID. Let me know what's going on. But in this case, a vow is honored through a relationship that is ordained by God. When God ordains a vow, he keeps it. It's a promise. Some may call this the covenantal prayer. Because vows are the reflection of God's covenant to his people. As we've been learning the last few weeks of covenant theology. As God vows to bless his people Israel, Hannah vows to give to God what already belongs to God. Right? Her heart. Who's her heart in this instance, symbolically? Her child. Right? He's, she's giving to God what she asked God for and then is giving to him in a specific manner. Take him. He is yours. Thirdly, in Hannah's prayer, her prayer was answered. Can I get a hallelujah up in this room, right? Thank God that God answers prayers. First Samuel 1, 19-20 says, And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Thank God that he's not just listening to us, but he answers us. He answers our prayer. And I want you to see the difference between today's prosperity gospel and, and this gospel in this text. The prosperity gospel says, this is what I have to do to receive prosperity from the Lord. And that is not what it's saying here. Right? It's because she has a deep vow, a covenant relationship with the Lord. She asked God... To give back to God. Are you with me? This should like point out some major flaws in our Christianity today. Are we holding on to things that God gives to us? Or are we living abundantly, generously because of God's grace and mercy? I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking about the proclamation of the gospel. I'm talking about your children. Are we thinking in that mindset? Are we giving away our children for the advancement of the gospel? When God answers, he answers for a reason. Why? Because there are a specific mission out there that is in need of the Lord Jesus. And guess who has that? The church. The church is called. And God answers this world of sin through the people. These people's prayer. Fourthly, Hannah's prayer resulted as a gift back to the Lord. 
Verse 27 and 28, we read already, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me in my petition, and I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. The word lent, actually in the Hebrew language, is not borrowed. The word lent is to literally give freely. She gave freely. It goes on and says, as long as Samuel lives, he is given over to the Lord. She is living out one of the Ten Commandments right here, right? That the, the, the children shall obey their parents so that they would live a long life and they would prosper in the word of the law, Lord. That, that we see a beautiful picture of God's grace lived out through his covenantal promise through his people. This is where I want us to better examine our own lives and how we view parenting. Let me give you some challenges. This may, some of you are going to catch feelings this morning, okay? It's okay if you catch feelings, but that's what the word does. The word corrects. But the word also, honi honi and lome lome, it massages us. So I want you to hear these terms, right? Here's, a, here's some biblical parenting principles. Number one, we must acknowledge that children are a gift from God. Psalms 127, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from who? You? From who? The Lord. The fruit of the womb, a what? Reward. Secondly, we must give our children to the Lord. This is why we practice dedication ceremonies in our church. Mother's Day, Father's Day, some other days. We, we, we celebrate dedicating our children. It comes right here from Hannah's narrative. The story of the gospel here in Nero's story. We must give our children to the Lord. How? The way, the way Hannah did it, right? She prayed for her baby. She prayed and she dedicated his life unto the Lord. This is how Hannah describes her parenting. Are you dedicating your baby to the Lord? Is your children, are you constantly praying that God would go beyond just their immaturity right now? Because all we see is what we see in reality, right? We don't see 10 years, 12 years, 20 years down the road what the Lord will do. We're preparing them for that. Thirdly, we must train our children to trust the Lord. How did Hannah live this out? She gives Samuel to the priest, Eli. Now, I'm not an only child. There's six of us or five of us in the Tomaselli household, siblings. So I'm sure, like, I wouldn't be the one giving away because I was the favorite kid. Can I get a witness out there, Ulumaika? Right? But probably Ulu may have been giving away, just saying, you know? Not there, but what? You know what So, like, but I'm thinking about my wife's side. My wife is second generation only child, right? To think that her parents, who she born and raised in Tennessee, grew up in Tennessee, and second generation only child, and this Hawaiian boy come hopping into Tennessee and just rips her from her culture and her context and brings her all the way to Hawaii, right? Like that, that's crazy, right? In the natural mind. But I'm telling you this, my in-laws has the heart of the gospel. They knew that this southern life that they were accustomed to, the gospel was more deeper than that. And today you see this haole lady speaking the hot language in the community, all the football boys, all the calling her auntie, and there's a beauty of what happens when you give your child away. Amen? I'm going to tell you this, Hawaiians, Kanaka, the best thing you can do is give your children away. Until that day, do what Hannah did. Pray for them. Constantly dedicate them to the Lord. 
right? And look at this. Let your children see and know that your plan someday is to be like Hannah and give away Samuel. My heart is that 50 years down the road, my sons will be serving the Lord somewhere around the world. They don't have to stay here in their homeland. They can go anywhere. And I pray that they do that. That God would release them from these islands and that God would share with them. We preach this every day to them. You may not be here forever. There's a whole world out there that have no access to the gospel. In my missions class in seminary right now, we're talking about the people groups of Papua New Guinea. And there's one more unreached people group in the Pacific in Papua New Guinea that don't, don't have no access to the gospel. There are still cannibals, right? They, they kill missionaries who come. They eat missionaries. There's so much stories that we have heard. And it's true. These things are taking place. And so these are people who their first generation gave away to these people groups. So that they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Hannah has a heart not to just have a child. Hannah has a heart to diligently train up her child in the ways of the Lord. And by the child seeing that, Hannah even gives her boy to the high priest. Samuel, for Samuel 128 says, therefore I lent him to the Lord. I mean, this will hurt. This will hurt. You guys ready? This will hurt. So brace it, okay? I've let this hurt me this week, so I want you to navigate through these feelings too. Here's the realities of what we invest into our children today. This is what I see. This is what I know. Are you ready? Sports, football, basketball, everything. Even in COVID season, this is what we invest our people in, right? We'll make all the excuses why we cannot be a part of church and all this, but we see kids working out. Like, we, we invest our kids in sports with sports team. And I'm guilty. I'm the one doing some of that. I coach that, right? We do that. We invest in that. Not, nothing's wrong with being in sports. It's the weight, right? It's understanding that sports not going to save your kid. Listen to me. I want you to hear this very clear, right? Majority of high school athletes, listen to me very clear, will never get scholarships to go to college or next level. Let's go to the professional leagues, right? It's lower than that. But let me tell you, 100% of us, 100% of your children, you ready? Is going to be judged by a holy God. You heard me there? Now you're talking about the coach, one state championship, so we are. I I know what it means to be successful in, in sports, high school sports. But listen to me very clear. Nothing matters if my football boys don't know Jesus, don't know the Lord of hosts. And, I, and I'm going to be bold about my faith, like Hannah, unless otherwise. That's the reality, guys. We, we, that's our reality. We invest in sports. Could you, let me tell you how much it costs to go to a football camp these days. All right? Let me just give you a round, right? Hundreds, almost thousands of dollars. If you're from Hawaii, you got to buy the plane ticket. You got to go to the mainland. You got to go to the good ones. You got to pay for all the food, all the, the lodging, all that stuff. That's a lot of money. And we can't buy a $5 Bible. Right? Or it's free on your phone. Right? Our reality, we invest in our children in sports. We invest in our children in dance lessons, in music lessons, in cultural practices. That's crazy right there. In college and road trips, we invest in them. We invest in fancy, expensive 
clothing, the new fad. Let me tell you what my mama did for me growing up. We was broke. We was a Hawaiian family. We couldn't handle anti-jacking the mama. Right? This Filipino knew how to stretch one dollar bill. Okay? We would go to Bugle Boys. Anybody remember Bugle Boys down in uh, Princeton Hill Mall? All right? You had $5 shots back then. All right? Like $5. And so we had a, I had a Hanai sister that worked at uh, warehouse, men's warehouse, I think, back in the day. And they had the billabong patches. For like $3. So right there, $7. My mom would get the billabong patch and the billabong. And then over the billabong tag, she would staple the, the billabong. Uh, over the bugle boy patch, she would staple the billabong patch. Like that, my mom was akamai, bro. You know what I'm saying? But I got friends that bought 50, 60, and this is in the 90s. 50, 60 dollar surf shorts. Right? And you can go Walmart and get $10 surf shorts. Now, it may not be the kind you like. It may have crabs on it or something, right? But, like, that's the reality. That's what we invest in. I, I know we laugh, but it's you. We invest in new technology. All the gadgets, PS4, PS5. I think Atari just came back out or something like that for Christmas. Like, there's all, like we, the iPhones, the, the, the smartphones, the stupid phones, whatever the case is, right? Like, we, we invest all this in our lives. However, the one thing we deny to them is deeply rooted biblical training. Listen to me. We deny their training in the Lord when we neglect family devotions. We deny their training in the Lord when we neglect praying with and for them daily, minute by minute, hour by hour. We deny their training in the Lord when we make everything else but the Bible their focus. We deny their training in the Lord when we let them attend schools that deal with unresolved theological issues. We deny their training in the Lord when we let them make their own choices apart from their examination, what they wear, what they listen to, who they can date, who they cannot date. We deny all this. We do all this, and then we will use words like, well, it's their life. They're going to have, no, you are the parent. They're a gift from God to you. We deny their training in the Lord when we neglect the gathering of the church. We deny their training in the Lord when only one parent is seeking the Lord all by themselves. I know that too well as a kahu. I've been in ministry long enough to know that's the reality for most parents that I see today. The man could be here or the woman could be here, but is out of it. Is clueless of the biblical doctrines that we learn. And listen to me, when we deny these biblical foundations... We are denying not just our child, but we are denying our God. And there's only two reasons. First, either you are disobeying God or you are simply not a true follower of the Lord. I know this is not your popular topic, right? Well, one major mark of a genuine, genuine converted believer up on the screen is this. One who is desperate for the Lord. I want you to see Hannah's desperation for the Lord. Are you, are we as a church desperate for the Lord? Is there a hunger for holiness? If every parent is catching feelings, praise the Lord. I would be offended if you're not offended today. Because it's in those offensiveness that God can do what only God can do. Are we desperate for the Lord? Is there a hunger for holiness? Is there a hunger for the scriptures? Is there a brokenness of our sins? Is there a cry of hope in our Lord? Are we laying our hands on our children and begging God to draw them to him? Are we thinking about eternity, rather their next college or their next whatever? This understanding of dependency and desperation for the Lord is a normal rhythm throughout the scriptures. 
It's a normal rhythm throughout the day. Let me show you who can show, who can be a prime example of who's desperate for something. You ready? The gifts from heaven. These children. Now, it may not be in the right way, but they model for us. I see some of them already in the room acting up, right? What desperation look like. Ah! Ah! I want mommy. I want that cow preaching too long. Tell him hurry up. Ah! Right? Look at my boys all laughing down there. And here's the reality. This is how we should approach the throne of God. God, I need you. God, I'm desperate for you. God, without you, I'm nothing. God, I need holiness. God, I need to know what it means to be holy. This is a normal rhythm all throughout scriptures. In fact, the psalmist gives us great examples of what desperation means from our lives to God. Psalms 34, 17 says this. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord what? Hears and what? Delivers them out of all their what? Troubles. Psalm 18, 6 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my what? Voice. And my cry to him reached his what? Ears. It did not say my somber talk reached his ear. No, a desperation of cry. Psalm 145, 19 says, He fulfills the desire of those who what? Fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Psalms 57, 2 says, I cry out to the God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. The psalmist understood that crying out to God was the only way God would hear him and the only way God would answer him. You may say, well, this is new times. Jack, let's go to Jesus. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus had a rhythm and a pattern. The gospel says early in the morning he would wake up. He would go and he would do what? He would pray. What would he pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and forgive those who what? Trespass us. Are you with me? These aren't words that are just formal words. It's words of desperation. Psalm 50, 15 says this. And call upon me, and call upon me in the day of trouble. Some of you need to start calling out to God right now. You're in trouble. And if you don't think you're in trouble, guess what? You are in trouble. How do I know? Because you're human just like me. You are in trouble. As I coach with coaches all week, our coaches are in trouble. As I hear how they use their language, how they use these stories and all this, we are all in trouble. And we need to cry out to God to answer our prayers. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall what? Glorify me. This is why I bring this up. Here's two reality truths. Number one. Children will model their parents. Let me say that clearly. Children will always model their parents. I know this to be true. Personally, I never wanted to be like my dad. I never wanted to be called into ministry. 
I hated people with a passion growing up in the church. I saw how they treated my dad, the kahu, as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel. And my dad would still love them rightfully. My dad would be at their house. My dad would call them up. My, my dad, well, never have text back then, but you'd have pages, right? My dad would somehow get in communication with these people who hurt him and hurt my family. In my mind, screw you, Hawaiian. That's the way I grew up, right? But the gospel changed my heart. I saw what my daddy was the way he was. Because my daddy understood that the attacks of the enemy was much deeper than the expressions of man's hostfulness, right? And then it was at the age of 18 that I radically got saved in Las Vegas, Nevada. Sin City. What a place to be saved at, right? I heard the gospel from this tall six foot five redneck from Alabama. He would become my spiritual father in the faith. His church would start in Las Vegas. That's where I would meet my wife from Tennessee. And at this church, this giant of a pastor would teach me something about the gospel that I never understood. I thought Christianity was all about don't do this and do this. How many of you with me, right? I thought Christianity was all about a set of rules and regulations. And this big giant of a mentor tells me, Zeke, Christianity is not what you do. It's not about what you do for God. All humanity is the problem because they still try to do stuff for God. He goes and he says this. Christianity is what God has done for you. Could you imagine Hannah's prayer? Hannah's prayer is like 15 plus hundred years before the Savior came to the earth. And she understood this sacrifice. She understood this God-given covenant that he gives to us. Not for us to obtain or do on our behalf, but because we're sinful and we're separated and we need God alone to free us from our sin. God does the impossible. He says it in the gospel. With man, all things are impossible. With God, right, it's possible. So children will model after their parents. Therefore, may what they model after one who is completely dependent on the Lord. Dad, mom, grandma, grandpa, let your children see your desperation for God. Now, now, there's one thing with you just being a complaining parent, a nagging parent, but there's a whole nother difference When you're there and you're on your knees and you're going after the heart of God and your babies are coming after you like how my boys come after me and they hug you. Daddy, what's going on? Are you okay? There's a total difference. This is not spiritual, but I guess it's good context, right? We're building an emu this past Friday night or Friday morning and it was pouring rain. Uncle next door, let me get some of the materials, the banana leaves and the tea leaves, right? And I haven't experienced a cry out to the Lord for a long time like this experience. Well, Hawaiians, you guys all know, you grew up here. What get on wet surfaces on leaves? Fire ants. Well, here am I, acting like I'm not from here. You know what I'm saying? I go deep into the bush because that's the one I like is get plenty tea leaves. And then it's pouring, guys, pouring. I cut down this big branch off with like 
30, 40 tea leaves. And the rain is just pounding on me. And what I'm thinking that's just hurting me is the strong rain, right? And what I come to discover 20 minutes later is that my whole body is becoming red, Hawaiian. And I realize, bruh, I still getting eaten alive by the devil himself right now. And bruh, I am crying out to God. You can ask my boys, right? I'm crying out, ah, help me, God. Hallelujah, help me, save me. I'm going in the shower, all the boys helping me out. You know, turn, turn my clothes outside so no more antsy. And I, I say, boy, I'm showering and all that. Kaimana's looking for stuff for me, my towel and all that. Like, man, I was just in agony, in pain. And I'm texting my wife and I'm like, Hawaiian, I may need to go to the ER. And I'm desperate for God. And so I tried to go cold water and soap. And then another thing, oh, I need an allergy medicine to kick this out because this venom is inside of me, right? And so when I cried out to God, the only thing I knew who to cry out to next was the blessed gift he gave to me is Lane, right? I text Lane and Lane tells me what it is. What it is, and listen to me, when it comes to medicine, I don't know what in Tylenol to an ibuprofen looks like, Okay. Just give it to me blindly and high, and I will swallow them, you know? And so he said, no, just go to the cabinet, and you're going to find it. It's in a green-colored cap, Hawaiian. Don't tell me one green-colored cap. Get like four green-colored caps over there. Right? And then I saw it. Oh, then I saw it finally. I took it. Ulu came from work, took me to the urgent care, and, bro, it was good. I was, no, they gave me medicine and rubber, but I was, I was thinking about the cry out part. That is how we should cry out for our souls. That is how we should cry out for our babies. Do you weep and do you mourn for the souls of your children? Like, I hope that you love your child so much that you want them to be in, ter- in eternity with the Lord forever, right? But even more than that, not just getting a free card out of hell. You want them to know the Lord and walk with the Lord and live for the Lord and share the word of the Lord. It doesn't have to be in front of a pulpit. God is good. Cry out to him. Grab your kids. Even right now, grab them. Lay hands on them. Speak a prayer over them. Instead of scolding and threatening your child, pray with your child. I am guilty. I come from that backyard Hawaiian lifestyle. If you know what it is, I'm going to conk you, Hawaiian. You guys laugh, but you know what I'm talking about, Auntie Ammon. Don't be all over there. Eh? My cousins, they're all laughing back there, you know? That's how we was raised. We wasn't raised with a family. It was like, now that was not nice, Kapua. No, when I was called Kapua, oh, hell was about to break loose. I'm going to tell you that right now. No. Instead of scolding and threatening your child, pray with your child. Even when they're not listening, lay hands on that. Anoint them with prayer. Love on them. Here's the second reality truth. Don't be content with just having children. Strive hard to develop them to be lovers of God and continue to model it for them until you die. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, right? I mean, there's so much Holy Ghost moments I'm having in our devotion time every morning at 6 o'clock. And sometimes the boys just bust a fart or a joke. And it's funny, right? We get out of spiritual world like, you're not going to be perfect. They're not going to be perfect. But we're striving to the one who is perfect. As we read on in chapter 2, Hannah's prayer life does not cease. After she gave her Samuel away, she prayed even, long, even more. 
She continues to be desperate for the Lord, even after giving birth and giving Samuel her only child to Eli for the Lord's service. I want you to hear this very clear. There are only two spiritual disciplines in our life, saints of God. We have over-exhausted these disciplines. 12, 15, 30. Let me share with you those two disciplines that the Bible is faithful at of what, how we should live out the life of a follower of the Lord. Number one, read your Bible. Number two, pray constantly. You remember that old song? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. It's not just a children's song. That song is for all believers, all who belong to the Lord. I know we see other disciplines through the scriptures, such as fasting and assembling with other believers, but those are just results of these two main disciples. Listen to me. If you're not reading your word, no fast. How do you know how to fast if you don't read your word? I'll go even a step further. This may hurt some toes. If you're not reading your word, no pray. How are you going to pray when you don't read your word? How do you know how to pray? Your prayers may be wrong. Your prayers may not be biblical. Oh, but the Holy Spirit gives the words to you before you even talk. Romans 8 says that. Yeah, Romans 8 says that. How would you know that unless you read Romans 8? Are you with me? We are a biblicist church. We trust the scriptures. It's been trusted since the beginning of time, since it was canonized. The scriptures has existed all throughout time. These 5,000, 7,000 plus years since its existence. God preserves his word. Why? Because it's his mouth. It's his breath. I know we see other disciplines, but listen to me. Let your children see these two disciplines in you. Here's a biblical challenge. Give your keiki to the Lord. Give your keiki to the Lord. And here's how you can do it. Number one, read the scriptures with them. Number two, pray with them. Number three, memorize scripture with them. Number four, take them on mission trips. Instead of going on vacations, maybe use those vacations to take them to our partners in Japan. Do a mission trip at our church in Japan. See what God is doing in the most non-Christian area in the world. Second. Number five, teach them to live generously. Don't just live generously because the Christmas season is coming up. Live generously every week. Our family lives by a five-three-one principle. We send five words of encouragement every week to somebody we know. Some of you get my text messages and all that. Three, I disciple three people each week. That's my elders. That's our elders, our alaka'i. And one, I share the gospel with someone that I don't know or I haven't shared with yet. And I give them a gift. Be intentional about living this out in front of your children. Here's one I want to encourage you guys to. This is not saying for anything, just for those who feel led this way. It's helped us out. Give them a Christian education. I'm not saying to neglect the public schools because there's some great mission work in public schools. But let's say they go public school all their childhood and high school uh, life. Encourage them to go to some kind of Christian college institute so that they have a missions mind of what to do with their degree after. 
We have over, oh, over 4,000 missionaries in the Southern Baptist Convention around the world. And all those people are usually encouraged to get a degree that helps with advancing the gospel in some particular way in the world. Education, language, uh, uh, mechanics, music, whatever it is. Like, Encourage your kids, guide them to get degrees and training from institutes that allow them to be missional beyond just the university. Seven. Give them a mission's heart when they join sports, clubs, and other organizations. As much as I love football, my prayer is that my boys don't become football players to build up their ego. We got enough of that in the game of football, all right? But God would platform that to see people like Auntie Donna Rosas and her family to come to faith in Christ. And today she's leading all over through our ministries, right? Like we see that beauty. Let's not just join these programs to see how well our boys can do in sports. No, let's see how we can leverage the gospel with any platform like sports. Amen? Number eight, guide them in the profession. Question them. Why, why are you going this route? Why should you do this? Number nine, be a parent to them. Too many times I'm watching these Instagram posts and all that of, of, of parents who want to be their kid's best friend. Hey, I'm not wrong with being their best friend. Be their parent first. Scold them. Correct them. Train them. Love them. And last one. Saints of God, let your children go. Let them go. Maybe some of you older children is still living with you because life has smacked them in the face. Maybe you can evaluate in your life. Maybe you've not done the right biblical things that you should have done with them. And that's why they were the way they are. But let's trust God no matter the cause. God is a forgiving God. You can start even when they're 40 years old. Amen? Remember, God is not, no one is too far or too deep enough for God to rescue them. God can use you. But let your children go. This is how we live life. And this is how we make a difference. Live generous with your children. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that your word teaches us that apart from you, we cannot do nothing. But in you, we can do all things through Christ. And that's advancing the gospel. That's not to score more touchdowns and do one knees in the end zone. That is to make much of you through the verbal gospel that breaks hearts, that causes people to catch feelings, that causes people to, to examine their hearts and to examine whether or not they're truly in the faith, as Paul acknowledged in 1 Corinthians. But I pray that this harsh conversations is not harsh for simply to scold people for the sake of scolding them, but they would sense God's spirit in correction. Lord, your word says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all scripture is breathed out by you for reproof, for training, for correction. God, these are words that you said out of your own breath. This is why scripture exists, not just to pat people on the back, right, but to correct them lovingly, graciously. And Father, I pray that was the truth today. I pray that the truth will set us free. And you said, if we've honestly heard the truth, then we will be set free. 
pray for those in this room. Thank you for the new people that's here today. Would you bless them? And I pray that they would examine their heart as they heard this sermon. Pray we would all examine our own lives, not pointing the fingers, but looking at our own lives for the advancement of the gospel. Deal with us in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. God's Johannes is loud and proud.